Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Double Double. My name is Kelly Hogan and joining me as always on the other end is David Dixon. David, what's up? Nothing much, Kelly. Doing great out here at Wesleyan University. We're also joined today by a special guest, a man who is synonymous with basketball coverage in the state of New Jersey. You can find his work at njhoops.com. Jay Gomes. Jay, thank you for, for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be with you guys today. Thank you. We're excited to have you on. So let's just kind of get started. Give the listeners who aren't familiar with your work a glimpse at your background, kind of when did you start covering basketball and what exactly are you doing and working on now? Okay, I started uh, NJ Hoops in 1995. I started in basketball early 90s. Uh, right now I'm just uh, busy with uh, high school season just wrapped up. AAU season starts uh, this weekend for me. Uh, I got the NCAA tournament on the TV. I'm watching every night now, like I'm sure you guys are. Uh, so it's a good time. It's always a good time and around the basketball court. So uh, everything's good. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, we're big fans of all levels of basketball, especially March Madness. But one thing I was wondering is kind of what what's the best part about covering high school basketball at that level? Well, one of the things I really I really enjoy about it is, you know, I, I like seeing a kid when he's a young player, watching him develop, and, and hopefully, you know, he gets the most out of his ability and his talents, and hopefully he takes, you know, his journey all the way to the professional ranks. So, you know, I always get a kick out of seeing, you know, the Kyrie Irving, the Carl Towns, uh, those guys when they were in high school and, and watching them throughout their careers. Jay, I, re- I remember playing games in AAU and in high school, particularly in AAU, and you know it's, it's like an 8 a.m. tip on a Sunday morning in a consolation game in some random gym in, in Perth Amboy. And, and you're in the gym in your folding chair just, just ready to go. And I'm curious, what, what keeps the fire burning and what kind of keeps you motivated after all these years to, to kind of continue forward? Well, to be honest with you, Kelly – uh, first thing, it was a pleasure to watch you play, Kelly. You were a good player back then. I'm sure you still got some game left. But uh, no, seriously, uh, you know, I enjoy it. I enjoy being in the gym. I enjoy watching the kids play. Uh, you know, I enjoy the competitive nature of it. Uh, I enjoy watching them develop. Uh, you know, I'm one of the guys who get a little burnt out in the high school season. Then the AAU season's ready to start up. And then they get a little tired at AAU season. The high school season starts up. So I, I like both aspects of that. So it keeps it fresh a little bit. One question in particular as it pertains to AAU, as you mentioned, the season's starting up here this weekend. AAU is a polarizing brand of basketball. In terms of player development in your time covering the game, have you seen it as a kind of a net positive or, or negative as it relates to player development and the high school game? That's a good question. Uh, it's a little bit of both. Uh, I mean, there's some AAU coaches that are very good that, you know, uh, work with the kids and help them develop. Uh, you know, there's other ones that, you know, just scream and yell and hoot and holler on the sidelines. And I don't know if the kids really learn much from them. Uh, you know, maybe in those situations, they're getting some exposure out of it. Uh, but, you know, uh, I think in general, the teaching's better at the high school level with the high school coaches and the high school coaching staff. Uh, but that's, you know, uh, there's different ways of doing it. Like I said, some AAU coaches and some AAU programs are very good. Uh, you know, and it has come to the point nowadays where the AAU is, you know, in many ways more important for the kids. 
and more important for their exposure and their recruiting. Uh, and that's just you know, the way it's evolved over the last few years. Yeah, me, me and Kelly have definitely seen the full range of, as you were just describing, the AAU coach and the AAU program uh, and just all the different characters that are in there. So from your experience, if let's say we hand you a blank check and a blank slate and said, Jay, let's try to make the best AAU program we can. What are some of the things that, that you would highlight or be a point of emphasis in this hypothetical AAU program run by you? Well, I, I think you have to get, you know, uh, usually there's a, a good program. Usually there's a program director and coaches. So I'd have to have real good coaches, X's and O's wise, uh, skill development wise. And I'd also have to get a guy who's guys who are connected to the college coaches to help in the recruiting of the players and exposure of the players. Uh, and then, you know, you have to make sure you're in a program that plays at the right events to get the most exposure for your kids and the best competition for the kids. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And and from my experience, definitely from the different programs we played for, it's all about exposure for when you're trying to help kids play in college. And, and on the high school level, being from New York City, I've seen a lot of the best New York players move away from the city and go to prep schools in uh, in New England and more basketball center schools even around the country so kind of what do you see as the advantage of a prep school because you mentioned a lot about developments for the players so what do you think are the are the benefits of a prep school for the players and how has that been affecting the state and area that you cover in new jersey high school basketball well that's a great question uh, what i see happening in the last few years maybe in the last 10 or so uh, and it's going to get worse in the future uh, because high school associations only allow the high school coaches with the kids certain amount of you know hours during the season, and the high school basketball season is only you know roughly from Thanksgiving to March, uh, and many of them can't be in the gym with the kids after that. Um, so that's part one of the reasons why the prep schools are so popular. Uh, kids know the coach is going to be with them you know every day of the year after class. They could be in the gym. They could be working with the kids, developing the kids. Uh, you know, and that's part of the reason why these IMGs, these Montverds, uh, the St. Benedict schools like that are, are getting more and more popular because they don't have state association rules. So they get to uh, play and practice all the time. And what that's doing, too, is, you know, right now, I mean, New Jersey just concluded the state championships. And, you know, the public schools, you know, there's not many players anymore. You know, they always go to the non-public schools, but now many of them are going to the, you know, like I said, the prep schools in New England are very strong. Uh, your Brewsters, your Northfields, all of them. Uh, so now, you know, if you're a really good player, uh, you have to weigh that decision, whether you're staying at your local high school uh, or whether you're going to go away to a prep school somewhere. Jay, I mean, we saw that at Seton Hall Prep with Jabri Abdur-Rahim, how he decided to leave, and he's now at Blair. And that hurts as a... Uh, a fellow pirate is no longer in the program, but I want to touch on a couple other guys because the tri-state right now is loaded with talent. The McDonald's All-American game was was this Wednesday, and there were three Jersey kids represented. But in particular, I want to focus on the two Rainy guys who led their team to the the TOC title a couple weeks back. Scotty Lewis is going to Florida, and Brian Antoine is is going to Villanova. They're both top fifteen guys according to rivals. And I'm just kind of curious to get your perspective as to what makes their games so unique and how they translate to the next level. 
Well, I remember seeing them. The first time I saw them was at the Rumble in the Bronx before their uh, freshman year, and they were playing, I think, in the 16-year-old division as eighth graders. And their team was terrific. Cole Anthony was on that team. And I was just amazed that these kids were all not even in high school yet. And I think they won the division playing like two or three levels up. Um, and I saw them in their first game at high school. And, you know, they were stars then. And they've been stars for four years. And they've had great careers. Uh, you know, I, I think they're a little bit different players. Brian is just a smooth shooter. Uh, very good athlete, underrated athlete, too, because if he wasn't next to Scotty Lewis, everybody would be raving about what kind of athlete he is. Uh, and Scotty's just a very smooth, fluid athlete, jumps out of the gym, great defensive player, uh, very good underrated passer also. Uh, you know, they're just terrific players. The one thing they they need to work on for the next level and the level beyond that is they both got to get stronger. They're both very slim uh, they need to bulk up a little bit for, you know, for major college, high level college and for the pros. Yeah, that that seems like it's it's definitely a point of emphasis for almost any high school player moving on to the next rank is is the physical development for just playing in that next level. And that's w- one thing that, that I want to touch on. So you mentioned Brian and Scotty were kind of elite prospects going back to their middle school days playing for Team Rio and they were. They were well-known names around the tri-state, but then there's also just a lot of guys who mature and develop throughout high school, and they aren't such hot topic names, especially now with the Instagram highlight culture, you know, being shown thousands of people watching them have a dunk in an AU tournament at 14 or 15. So kind of what's the hardest part of scouting and watching young players in terms of projecting because it could sometimes be easier when, when you see a guy like Cole Anthony in the eighth grade you know he's you know for the most part he still would be really good but there's could be a lot of guys in that eighth grade gym who you don't know who might be playing college basketball or division one basketball so how was the hardest part of scouting young players in terms of projecting them well with young players the hardest part is you know you don't know how much they're going to grow physically uh, and the other part of scouting at any level the NBA the NFL uh, for college recruiting you don't know you talk to people and hopefully you hear the kid's got a good work ethic and he lives in the gym, but you really don't know. I mean, you guys with college ball players, you know, some guys in college level work on their games more than others. Uh, to some people, it's a, it's a love, it's a passion. They're in the gym all the time. You know, other guys are in there, you know, when the coach wants them to be, you know, and they say they're working on their game all summer, but you're kind of feeling like they're not really working as hard as they, as they should be, or they could be. Uh, so that's the part you really don't know about. But in terms of, of the younger kids for their high school and for their college, you know, there's a lot of variables involved. But one of them is, you know, is he going to grow? Uh, you know, some kids have growth spurts later in life and they put five or six inches, you know, during high school. Other ones, you know, are, are, are six, three, you know, posts in grammar school. And then, you know, there's six, three kids and seniors in high school and, you know, their post skills don't translate anymore. And you speak the work ethic and how important that is in terms of development. In your time covering basketball, both Jersey and seeing players from elsewhere, are there any players that stand out in particular who have who really transformed themselves into players that you really didn't think was possible? Yeah, well, I touched on Kyrie Irving earlier. I remember when I first saw uh, Kyrie Irving play. You know, he was before he got to St. Pat's. He was a freshman at Montclair Kimberly. You know, and they didn't have any basketball tradition. They didn't have any basketball players. 
And, you know, I saw him at a, at a top 100 event. And I thought, yeah, he's a, I think he was a freshman. I said, yeah, he's a skilled guard. But, you know, I didn't think he was anything special at that time. And then, but he had, you know, he hooked up with, obviously his father was a great player and, you know, coached him well. And he hooked up with uh, Sandy Pione and the Roadrunners, another great coach. And then, you know, that's Tate Patch. He's with Kevin Boyle. So he was with, uh, you know, three great coaches and skill, you know, skill development guys. And, you know, he wanted it. And he's the kid who just got better and better. And he got better at a quick pace. I mean, he went from like, you know, uh, a borderline 150 kid as a junior to a top 10 kid in the country as a senior. You know, he was one of those kids that just skyrocketed. Yeah, so one of our good friends from school who we had on the podcast last week, Jordan Sears, he, when, when we'll just be sitting around talking hoops, he always mentions that when he was a, a young guy in New Jersey, just the legend of Kyrie as a junior and senior, just how everyone in, in New Jersey loved Kyrie and, and knew that he was the real deal. So, one one thing I'm curious of, is there a player who sticks out to you who isn't such a household name, but just someone who you saw th- throughout the years who, who you just personally just, it was like, I just love watching this guy play, where if it came down to one or two teams, you always made sure to watch him just because you were a big fan of their game? Well, there's one kid, you know, people ask me sometimes, you know, who are the best players you've seen, you know, in 25 years of this? And, and this kid was a great player. He was a McDonald's All-American. But... You know, he gets overlooked and at the high school level and the AAU level. He was the, one of the most dominant kids I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and now he's off to a good start in the coaching world. Shahid Holloway, who's now the head coach at St. Peter's, uh, he played, you know, uh, with St. Pat's. He was one of the guys who got that program off the ground to where it is now. And he just dominated every game he, he played in. He controlled the tempo. He scored when necessary. He defended. He was just a terrific player at that age in high school and he had a good career at Seton Hall he went to an NCAA tournament or two but you know he never made the NBA or people don't know his name but he was a terrific player Jay as you know Dave and I we're, we're two D3 guys so we we really love rooting for the underdog are there any under recruited guys or guys who you feel kind of fell under the radar who are going to be impact players at the college level well it, it's tough because you know Nowadays, and one thing people don't realize too is some of the you guys know some of the D three guys recruit pretty hard. Uh, I mm. mean, people think you know D three coaches are not; they just people just show up at the door. But you know, the top D three programs, you know, uh, they recruit hard. Uh, I mean, there's a kid like you mentioned, the kid, uh, your teammate from um, from Wesleyan, whose brother played at Yale. Oh, Jordan Sears. Yeah, Jordan Sears was a good player. He was the type of kid who was a sleeper, and you know, I thought he'd go on to have a good Division three career. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that, you know, fall through the cracks. And if you look at, you know, the D3 All-Americans types, uh, you know, a lot of time there's different reasons why they're there. Uh, you know, there's a kid at Jersey City this year who was a D3 All-American again this year, Sam Tony, uh, And, you know, he had problems in high school. He was homeless. Uh, he never played more than a couple games his whole high school career. And then he hooks up at Division Three, and he's a great player. Uh, you know, there's players out there everywhere, you know, and people don't realize the good Division three players are Division one players. They just, you know, playing at a different level. Yeah, for sure. That That's definitely something that our coach emphasizes when, when we're playing our conference games and really any game is that just because these guys may, might not have a great record, these these guys are still really, really good. And the, the famous, you know, 
D3 story is Duncan Robinson at Williams. Lake Grossberg gets to Williams, dominates, and then has the opportunity to move on to Michigan. And the rest is kind of history. But so what are some of the guys in the Division I ranks who are from New Jersey who have really impressed you in the NCAA tournament? Obviously, Nas Reed has played really well for LSU as they're in the Sweet 16. But who are some other guys who are household names and maybe not such household names who have really impressed you so far in in the big dance? Well, kid, I watched again last night. Uh, Lewis King at, at Oregon uh, is off to a real good freshman season. Uh, he was hurt a little bit uh, this year and late in his senior year of high school. Uh, he had a real good game last night. He's had a real good freshman year. You know, uh, he's being, you know, talked about by the, you know, some of the draft nicks as a possible NBA player down the road. Uh, you know, and you mentioned Nas Reed. Uh, Nas Reed is just a physical force, but he's also got good skills. Uh, you know, he could shoot the ball. He could handle a little bit. You know, he's another kid, you know, with uh, with a good potential and down the road could be playing for you know, a lot of money. So something that's always fascinated me with the talent pool in New Jersey, if Rutgers and Seton Hall were just able to keep, you know, maybe one or two kids each per year in state with the surplus of talent in the state, I, I'm not sure that's too much to ask, but they really it doesn't seem they've been able to do so. Kevin Willard has definitely been impressive. He won the Big East Tournament a couple years back and then made the championship again this year. And with the roster they had outside of Miles Powell, I don't think it was anything special. So I think, you know, he did an excellent job. And then Steve Pykel is doing a great job at Rutgers. They didn't have the best record, but they definitely had some wins that, I mean, games they weren't supposed to win, they came out on top. I'm just kind of curious to get your thoughts on why those programs struggle to keep talent in state and if you were to take one's future moving forward which teams would you take well the second half of that you put me on the hot seat but I, so, I'll go, <laughs> so i'll go to the beginning of it um yeah if they kept the best guys in jersey home you know they'd be ncaa tournament teams no problem uh you know for years uh, the best players, you know, if you look at Kentucky, for instance, you know, with with Briscoe and Towns and just the guy. Now they got Khalil Whitney going there next year. Uh, if you just take the guys from Jersey they've had there, uh, you know, they'd be, you know, Jersey schools would be a lot better off. Uh, you know, it's hard. Best players want to go to the best programs. They want to go to the NBA. And the best path to the NBA is not from Rutgers or Seton Hall. It's from Duke or Kentucky or Villanova. Um, you know, and let's be honest, um, you know, the passion for basketball in those areas is better than it is in Jersey. Although this year, we, you know, Seton Hall, uh, another great Iran and Rutgers attendance was at, all, was at an all time high. So it's picking up in that regards. But, you know, it is tough to keep those kids in state. Uh, it's going to create a little, you know, it's going to need a little leap of faith from some kids to say, I want to stay home. I want to be a trailblazer uh, for them to get it done. But if you look at where Kevin Willard has done the last four years, four NCAA tournaments in a row, you know, that's terrific for any school. So he's got that rolling pretty good right now. And Rutgers had, you know, had their best season in a number of years. So Pykele's got to move it up in the right direction, too, trending upwards. So right now they're in pretty good spots. Yeah, definitely. Seton Hall is definitely a team that, that I like to watch personally, just from how hard that they play. And for the, for the most part, they they do really try to recruit local guys from New York City and New Jersey, and that's a big point of it. So, ho- so hopefully Rutgers will be able to do that moving forward. And speaking of the local guys who they're going to be recruiting, New Jersey basketball 
high school basketball is known for some really great teams. You have the Bobby Hurley teams of, of St. Anthony's, and as you mentioned, Coach Boyle at when, when he was at St. Pat's and St. Ben's is also a great program, and the Hudson Catholic team from the last few years, and obviously Rainey. Uh, if you had to pick just one or two teams since you've been covering the high school basketball ranks as the best high school basketball team you've seen in New Jersey, who would it be? Wow, that's a good one. Uh, you know, immediately I'm thinking it has to be a, a St. Anthony team, but they've had so many good ones. It, it's it's hard to pick out one. Uh, I think the St. Pat's team, they had Kyrie Irving and my kid Gilchrist the same year. That was a terrific team. I, I think even the Roselle Catholic team last year was very good. You know, besides Nazi Reed and Josh Pierre-Louis, they had uh, Alonzo Frank, who's now at South Carolina. Uh, they had some other Division One players. They were very good, and they won the TSC. Um, you know, the St. Joe's Metuchen team with Carl Towns and Wade Baldwin, who went on to play in the NBA, you know, they were real good also. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot. Um, I'm trying to pick out one great St. Anthony team, uh, and I'm having trouble because they've had so many. Uh, but those are the ones that come to mind right away. I have one one player who's somewhat of a folk legend in New Jersey, just based on some of the absurdities he did back in high school. Dewan Wagner scored 100 points in a high school game, and I'm sure you've had the chance to see him. Not Not many people have had that opportunity. What was that like, and can you just kind of – you know, take us inside the gym of a Dewan Wagner game down in Camden. Uh, a legend in New Jersey. He was he was a happening. Uh, you know, the whole town, the whole city came out behind him. Uh, they would all be chanting, you know, about the high. Uh, and he had the ultimate green light, which every player would love to have. Obviously, you must have a green light if you're averaging 45 a game and you score 100 in it in one particular game. Uh yeah, it was a great run with him. You know, I mean, they were playing games and, you know, in Trenton and the Sovereign Bank Arena for 7,000 people. They were playing games in Philadelphia for 8,000 people. Uh, you know, it was tremendous. He was a spectacle. Uh, he was a great player. He was probably one of the two or three best high school players I've ever seen. Uh, you know, it's a shame that, you know, his career in the NBA was what was curtailed, you know, too soon because of injury, illness. Uh, but he was an unbelievable high school player. Yeah, jump jumping back off of, of what Kelly said about just the absurdities of of Dewan Wagner's games. You know, I've I've only heard the legends of it, but there are also other legendary stories and tales of some of the absurdities at an AAU basketball event. Me and Kelly have definitely lived a lot of those ourselves in a very uh, small sample size. So, kind of what sticks out to you as kind of the most absurd, crazy, wild AU basketball event stories from maybe there's a tournament where no ref showed up or, you know, a team that had zero jerseys or, you know, just something completely crazy that could only happen during an AU basketball event. Well, besides the, you know, multitude of fights and technicals and, <laughs> and all that, I mean, my one game in particular at a tournament, uh, I saw the ref, punch a fan and <laughs> from what from what I remember being at the game the fan didn't do anything there was a personal vendetta from off the court stuff not related to that particular event so everybody's looking around like why did this happen nothing precipitated it but they had some sort of 
you know, some sort of cross paths before in their, you know, in their outside life. But that was a very interesting game. <laughs> that, that's hilarious. Uh, so, Jay, I have, I have one more serious, semi-serious question for you. No one is, is more well-immersed in, in the game of basketball in the state of New Jersey than you are. If you were put in charge and were given the option or the opportunity to make a couple of changes to be it the high school game, the high school schedule, the AAU circuit, if you could make any changes that you feel would necessitate uh, a better game or a better opportunity for some of these guys, what, what are some ideas or some thoughts that you have? Well, for the high school basketball fans, and, and one thing I would do, and it'd be hard to do, but I would try to get the state association and the National Federation of High Schools to ease the restrictions on when the high school coaches can be involved with the kids. Uh, you know, I, I think it's ridiculous that, you know, from November to March they're with the kids. After that, they can't be with the kids. That's why the guys are all jumping to their AAU programs. That's why their AAU programs are more important because the AAU coach has those kids for nine months. And they have them every weekend. And not that, again, not that hey, you guys are all bad and not that they're doing bad things, but the high school coaches should have more of a uh, more of control and be more time with the kids. Uh, the other thing, you know, what I hear all the time, and I'm coming around a little bit, is, you know, people have been crying for a shot clock in New Jersey for a while, and we're one of the few states that doesn't have it. Uh, and I was always okay without it because I thought it gave the underdog more of a chance to hang in the game. But I, I think it does hurt the kids' development a little bit, playing without the shot clock. Uh, so I'm, I'm ready for a shot clock in Jersey. Uh, let, me, let me second that because I played against North Eastside back in my heyday, and they held the ball for the final four minutes of the half. And that ever since then, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a full-on proponent of a shot clock in high school basketball. Yeah, ju- jumping off that, it still haunts me my junior year we were playing – I went to Poly Prep in Brooklyn, and we were playing at the Del Barton Holiday Tournament right right after Christmas, and we played a team, and I, and I can't remember the name, but they went with the Dean Smith four corners offense and would have possessions lasting two and a half minutes in the third and fourth quarters in a, in a four-point game, and we were very undisciplined. It would come down and take quick shots, which would only help them, but I'm all for a shot clock, and Kind of just speaking as, as, you know, just of where New Jersey fits in nationally, not just in terms of rules, but if you were to convince someone who had never seen New Jersey high school basketball or knows nothing about it, if you were going to try to convince them what, what makes New Jersey high school basketball special and where does it rank in terms of high school basketball across the country? Well, one thing I think that, you know, it sets Jersey apart and, you know, many college coaches from around the country will, will second it is uh, kids play hard in New Jersey. You know, New Jersey's, uh, you know, a tough, tough state. You know, kids are, you know, it's a lot of people in a small area, uh, density population-wise. Uh, kids are tough. Uh, some of the suburban kids in other parts of the country, you know, don't play that hard. They're not scrapping as much. Uh, so, you know, that's one of the you know, ways I'd say, you know, Jersey ball's different. You know, and the other one, you know, the proof is in the pudding. You can see for, you know, a small state, you know, there's 35 or so Kids coming out of New Jersey every year that play Division One. You know, there's McDonald's All-Americans multiple the last few years. There's Jersey guys in the NBA. Uh, you know, so Jersey basketball is right up there with the top states in the country. Jay, we're going to wrap it up here. I just want to thank you so much for joining us. I know it's a busy time with AAU, the AAU season starting up. And I know 
you're writing countless articles for NJ Hoops under the under the rivals umbrella. So we just we're really grateful that you took the time and uh, really enjoyed chatting it up with you. Love talking with you guys. Always love talking hoops. Thanks. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate it. That'll do it for episode 14 of the Double Double. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Five stars would be greatly appreciated. If you have an Android, you are welcome to listen to us on Spotify as well. We're very user-friendly. And SoundCloud is another option for those of you who are interested. If you have any interest in following us on Twitter, you can do so at dbl underscore dbl podcast or email us. Our email address is double double four zero two at gmail.com. Thank you guys for listening. Take care and make it a great day. Yeah.